I just had one of the most hopeful, exciting conversations <coughs> with a complete stranger that I've had in a while. Um, a worker came into my living space to clean the carpets. Well, let me backtrack. So I had had the plumber here yesterday, and the plumber had to plumb. <laughs> and install a new sink. And unfortunately, this plumbing company that has been in use by my family for, since 1987, sent a child. I mean, this person may have been 22, if that. They looked like they were 19. And they had to call a supervisor, and the supervisor had to come in and help them. So they really should have just sent the older person. The supervisor was like 45. Uh, you know, a, a, a master plumber, and this younger person was a trainee. And I get that people need to train, obviously. And being a plumber, clearly you need to train on the job. I get all that. But my thing is, if I don't have the time for you to keep taking breaks and having to keep call your boss and having to come back over and over and over again to do da 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 because that's what was happening. He'd have to keep stopping every 20 minutes to call the supervisor, and the supervisor had to come out and then oversee something and blah, 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 blah. But anyway, because he was young and inexperienced, he didn't put down a drop cloth. So when he was doing his work, he got rust, gunk from the sink, and just oil grease like all over the carpet. And both, we have a... There's a small little uh, decorative carpet in the kitchen. You got crap all over that. And then in the upstairs restroom, you got crap all over the lovely carpet on one side of the restroom upstairs. So the plumbing company said, well, we have to clearly pay for your carpet to be shampooed and cleaned. So they did that. And so now I had to wait today for the worker to come was a woman, which I loved, was a one-woman army cleaning machine with these big, you know, steam cleaning vacs and all this stuff. I just got to talking to her, (coughs) and I had such a lovely conversation with a white woman. She was about 45 to 55. She may be 60. She looked like she was 40, she looked like she was probably 50. 45 to 55 would be the range I would say she was. Conservative from, from earlier in our conversation. Because we, we got we, we got into politics. I can't even remember how we got into politics, but we did get into politics. And we agreed that there are people on both sides of the aisle. And I hate that phrase because I'm the both sideism kills me. But there are people who are not willing to compromise at all. We talked about my favorite ditch Mitch. And we talked about some other politicians who just won't compromise, won't budge. Rand Paul, um, Nancy Pelosi at times. Although I I would I would say that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer uh, compromise too much. But we talked about how people in Washington have lost their minds and that the common people, the citizens, us can talk to each other. And so we got on the topic of abortion. And I know you're thinking, oh no. She totally agreed. And this woman had three children. 
had been sexually assaulted, had an abortion, and has had a miscarriage. So she's had five children, one she aborted, and one she lost through miscarriage. So she actually knows every single part of this debate. And I said, you need to go to Frankfurt and you need to go to Washington immediately and talk because you've actually lived this where senators just talk about this theory. Although, I don't know what the statistics are, but without Googling it, I would venture to guess that out of every four women I see, two have had an abortion. I feel like it might be that prevalent. Maybe it's one, it could be one in five, but I feel like if I see four women on the street, I'm going to say half of them have probably had a miscarriage or an abortion. They've lost a baby or they had to terminate one. <coughs> um, I'll look up the stats later. But it, it just struck me that someone who's so opposite of me, we came to the same conclusion that these people that we're paying, these senators and Congress people aren't compromising, they're not doing their jobs, they're not legislating, they're just obstructionists, but they're on our payroll. We started talking about the TSA agents, how they had to work without getting paid, and then we talked about abortion and the insane bill in Alabama that doesn't have a provision for rape or incest. Of course, she was against that. What she did get into as a conservative, which I thought was fascinating was she she swore up and down to me that in Kentucky you can have an abortion when the child is up to two years old which think about that she, she said you can have an abortion when the child's up to two years old so I, I kind of had to sort of pivot away from that conversation because that didn't make any sense. I'm like, two years old, what do you mean? The the child is walking around and you just take the child to a doctor and the doctor shoots the child in the head? I don't... What are you talking about? So then then I, I kind of run into what I sometimes run into with conservatives is you just... You're... You're not, we're not dealing in reality. We're not, we're, not, we're not dealing with the same set of facts here. Um, but <laughs> that moment aside, and then, then I pivoted into talking about other things. But that moment aside, what we came to an agreement on is that the politicians are not working with each other to govern. That their job is to govern, not to get up there and obstruct and showboat and grandstand and make money for their interests. Their job is to govern. And so what I left with was a wonderful conversation with a older white woman. And who knows, she could have been just placating me. But she seemed sincere. And the conversation ended up being lovely. And we agreed. Which I did not think I would be agreeing with a 50-year-old white woman today who came to clean my carpets. You never know what the day's gonna bring. Hey children, I just saw John Wick 3. I gotta talk about it right now. I think another direction this podcast is going to go in is me talking about race and everything. 
which is what it was before, really. <clears throat> but let's do, basically, I, I'm not, I'm kind of feeling this going into like a black Bechtel test um, situation from time to time. So we talked about Captain Marvel, we addressed race, and now we're going to talk about John Wick 3. Number one, I liked it. I actually loved the movie. I won't say I liked it. I'm just going to, well, I'll save the grade for later, but let's get into it. <clears throat> Let me first say, I have not seen John Wick 1 or 2. And I think it's hilarious that I knew that I did not need to see John Wick 1 or 2 to go watch this movie. That's how these movies are made now. They're trying to get the widest appeal, the biggest box office. They're trying to get the most audience ever. So these movies are not written to where there are intricate plot points that you must have seen the other movies to get. I'm sure there are a lot of Easter eggs, there are a lot of recurring characters where if you've seen the other two, it helps. Like Winston of the hotel, uh, the Continental, like, I don't know if the Angelica Houston character was in there before. It seems like it because apparently John Wick is from the Belarus uh, ballet family. He was trained there, whatever. But you didn't really need to know all that. <coughs> you can gain a lot from context. So I sat down and watched this movie and I could see, okay, he was obviously raised in the Belarus ballet period. He was an orphan raised by this by these Russians and he learned wrestling and maybe ballet. <laughs> He's got a lot of like balletic moves. It's almost like he fights almost like capoeira and jiu-jitsu and street fighting and you know like Greek wrestling. Like there's a lot of stuff that's combined in his fighting skills and a lot of sword play which also becomes interesting because um you know you think you see Keanu Reeves as a white male doing all this sword stuff and you think is this yellow face is it cultural appropriation but it gets complicated because his father is of Asian descent or his father is Asian um I'm not sure if his father is Vietnamese or what but his father is or is he Pacific Islander? I know his father is a man of color who's either Pacific Islander or from East Asia. He is a, he is a man of color who is not uh, of the African diaspora. We'll put it that way. I did not Google to see exactly where he's from, but I've seen pictures of him. And he is, I think he is Asian. I could be messing this completely up. So someone go check on that. But... The point is, his father is of an ethnic origin that it kind of complicates the yellow face conversation with Keanu Reeves using uh, samurai swords, even though he still presents the face of a white male, right? So I think that argument can go either way. I think you could have some element to say, well, culturally, because his father is da-da-da-da-da, it's not yellow face, but then it's like, yeah, but he is... His visage is of a Caucasian male, just like Barack Obama had to run as a black male, even though his mother is white. He would have been laughed out of the race had he run as a white male, right? He had to run as what he is seen as, because the world treats you as what you're seen. So Keanu Reeves walks through the world in white male privilege because he looks white, even though his father is not. Barack Obama walks through the world treated as a black male, even though his mother is white. Right, so that's an interesting conversation just to think about, stew over. Anyway, back to the movie. Plot of the movie and how it was written. It was fast-paced, even though it was two hours and 20-some-odd minutes. 
two hours and some change. It did start to feel a little bit long towards the end, but it's not because of the writing or the acting or the direction. That was all stellar. It started to feel long at the end to me because I didn't really understand John Wick. So maybe it did have a little bit to do with the writing. John Wick doesn't really actually have a reason for wanting to stay alive. To me, that makes any sense. His wife is dead, and he keeps saying to the movie he wants to stay alive for the memory of her? To honor her? Like, you're an assassin, so I don't... It doesn't make any sense. Like, the whole justification of him staying... If she's already dead, which I think she is... It seems she's already dead. He's acting like she's dead. All signs are pointing to his wife is dead. I haven't seen the other two films, but I think I can safely say his wife is deceased. She has, you know, wandered off this mortal coil. Um, Actually, I do know she's dead because they say it in the movie. Somebody killed his wife, so she's dead. And that was apparently the thing with the second movie. Well, whatever. His wife is dead. So... Uh, his whole impetus for wanting to like stay alive to me in this movie doesn't really make even make any sense. So Keanu Reeves kills everyone. I mean, he just literally after his you know his um, he won his freedom apparently in the last movie from the high table, which is interesting. We're going to talk about race and the high table and under the table and behind the table and all that stuff. The semiotics, the word, the etymology, the wordplay, the semiotics of what these words mean culturally is fascinating to me in this movie. Just fantastic. We'll get into that. I'm going to talk really fast, and I mentioned that I stutter when I talk fast because my brain is going a mile a minute, and my mouth can't keep up. You'll just have to listen and pay attention. So, um, I'm going all over the place. So, Keanu Reeves, um, whose butt looks fantastic, by the way. What is he? 55? Almost 60, right? His ass in this movie is sickening, and they had several shots for us faggots. They had several shots of his butt, like, where his leg was, like, positioned up and he was on the ground, but his leg was up, so his pants were tight around his butt, and his butt was center screen. That was clearly for the women and the gays, like that, or the bi's, or the the queer spectrum, and women. I mean, good lord. His ass still looks great. Um, and then, so, Keanu Reeves is amazing in this movie. His nuanced... His understated acting works so well for action films that has been said before. That's why he worked in the Matrix trilogy. That's why he worked in these movies. These movies are so big and so epic and so large in scope that you have to sort of undercut as an actor. You have to kind of underplay these scenes or they won't work. They're very fragile. I will tell you as an actor, when you're in something that is that over the top in scope that's that operatic in scope your acting especially on film has to be smaller and smaller you have to do less and less and less otherwise you'll destroy the entire the 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 suspension of disbelief of the audience is 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 already strong like a very taut line because of how crazy it all is the fact that you keep getting shot thrown off buildings attacked by a hundred people and you're not dead and you're not Superman, you're not Wonder Woman, you're not a superhero, I don't think. I could be wrong. I don't think John Wick is immortal. Maybe he is, I don't know. But he can be killed, so you're not Superman, you're not Wonder Woman, but you've been attacked by like a hundred people in this movie and you're murdering everybody. So the suspension of disbelief is already kind of like stretched pretty thin. 
So your acting has to be subtle. It has to be nuanced. It has to be smaller and do less and just kind of exist on screen and just say the lines plainly. Speak the speech I pray you, like Shakespeare told us, right? Because if you try to overact and you're just so big, it'll come, it'll come across false and we won't believe it. So his nuanced, underplayed, kind of um, understated acting is perfect for all these action films. He should be doing action films until he's in the grave, and I think he probably will. I think we'll see Keanu Reeves Kills Everyone, uh, starring Halle Berry as Selena Kyle that we deserved. We'll see 25 more of these films. I hope so anyway. And since I already have, let's go on to Halle Berry. Motherfuckers, Halle Berry gave you the cat woman that you wanted. You thought this shit was funny? You thought Catwoman was a game? You thought that because some motherfucker called Pitoff who directed music videos until Catwoman fucked her movie and destroyed her, almost killed her career, you thought she couldn't do action? Bitch, she gave you action. Bitch, she gave you shooting motherfuckers in the head. Bitch, she gave you high kicks. She gave you capoeira. She gave you spins. She gave you attack dogs. She gave you cutting men's throats. She was slitting throats. She was punching people in the crotch motherfucker was giving you sincere acting. She was showing you why she has a motherfucking Academy Award. She had a dramatic scene with Mr. Keanu Reeves that was out of this world, that was like a whole one act play in five minutes on screen. This bitch said, motherfuckers, I got your asses. You wanted Selena Kyle? You want to see a brilliant black woman bring everything? Bring intelligence? Bring the fire? Bring subtlety? Bring your nuance? Miss Halle Berry gave it to you. So she she just did everything. She did the most in the best way possible in this movie. I loved it. I am here for it. I want more of it. Give me this Halle Berry in every movie from now on. Because this bitch, and this is a dangerous quote, and you can quote me on this, put it out everywhere. I haven't seen Meryl Streep do this shit. I have not seen Meryl Streep do this. Let me see Meryl Streep do this shit that Halle Berry did in this movie. And that's all I got to say about that. She was everything. She was life. I, I loved it. Everything. Brilliant and fighting and, and amazing quiet scenes of acting. And then just, she didn't, there wasn't a wrong note. There wasn't a wrong note. And maybe that's editing. I mean, movie, they say movies are made in the editing room. But she was just Perfection. And I just loved it. The black excellence was just through the roof. And thank you. Thank you, Holly Berry, for showing the world in a caftan, bitch. She entered the screen in a caftan and owned life. Owned it. So let me move on. Because I could talk about Holly Berry in this movie for like an, for like an hour. But I'm already at 11 minutes. So let's, let me keep this going. This movie gave you Morpheus. This movie gave you Morpheus and Neo back together. Okay. Morpheus is, I mean, he's not really Morpheus. What is Lawrence Fishburne's name in this movie? I can't think of the character name, whatever. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne gave you life. He was in control of the Bowery. He had pigeons on a roof and they thought, you know, I mean, the movie just came out, but if you're listening to this, clearly you want to know about it. So 
you know, they thought we thought they killed him, but they didn't. Because you can't kill Morpheus. You cannot kill Morpheus. Get the fuck out of here. You can't kill John the Baptist. Okay, there will be no beheading today, ma'am. So he got out together. Um, Winston, the guy who runs the hotel, he was a great actor. He's in a lot of period dramas. I did not Google his name. I can't think of it. Uh, the slick African-American brother with the bald head who played his, the concierge. He was killing it. He's also a famous actor. But I can't think of his name right now either because my, my life was changed. My soul was raptured. I am an empty husk talking to you right now because of Halle Berry. Halle Berry snatched my wig in this movie and I'm still stuck on that. I just keep coming back to that. So the writing was tight. There wasn't really a lot of extra scenes. Now, the problem that I had with this movie and it worked, it actually worked to its, in its favor. So I guess I, I'm supposed to hate this woman. There was a woman whose character's name was the adjudicator and she is a white woman who is in charge of everything. She comes down and she's issuing out all these punishments for the high table, which it's interesting, you know, uh, there's this organization called the high table that is running the earth or running this syndicate or whatever. These are some details that if I had seen the first two movies, I'd understand, but they're not really necessary. I keep saying that, they're not really necessary. All, I ha all you have to know is the high table is in charge of everything and there are rules. And John Wick broke the rules. And one of the rules is you can't kill anybody on the grounds of the Continental. It's sort of a neutral space. It's, it's the um, demilitarized zone and you cannot kill anybody on the Continental property. He killed somebody in the Continental property that made him incommunicado. And so he had a $14 million bounty on his head. And then that went up to like a $150 million bounty on his head. And that's why everyone in the world was trying to kill Keanu Reeves. And he kills everyone from New York City to the Far East and back. He goes to the Middle East and then back and everything uh, to, to escape. Um, but there's this white woman who's sent down, who's the adjudicator, who's like having everyone killed. She's the one who orders somebody to cut up Samuel Jackson. She also kills an older white woman who is Angelica Houston, who is the one who gives Keanu Reeves passage to India. Or the, she gives him passage to Casablanca, pardon me, not India. Angelica Houston gives um, Keanu Reeves passage, safe passage to uh, Morocco, Casablanca, so to uh, Africa. And um, it's interesting, I, I had a hard time because of that interview, and this is why you got to be careful about yourself as an actor and what you say. Uh, it's funny that I'm saying that. But so Angelica Houston, I don't know if you if you're aware, just put out. She was just interviewed in this article for it was either Vanity Fair or People or Cosmo or Vogue. I don't know. It might have been Vogue or Vanity Fair because she's too highfalutin to be in People anyway. Very full of herself. She had this whole Lena Dunham moment in this interview. This is a digression, but it has a point. Angelica Houston had this whole Lena Dunham moment in this interview where she projected all of this shit onto Oprah Winfrey because apparently Oprah Winfrey was at a party and had her back to her and had this whole conversation with somebody else with her back to her. So Angelica Houston was butthurt about it and thinks that Oprah hates her. Girl, Oprah's a billionaire. She's not thinking about you. So I had to record another piece on John Wick 3 
because it's been brought to my attention that this character, the adjudicator, that I had a problem with because of their white female privilege (coughs) is a non-binary actor named Asia Kate Dillon. Now, I'm sighing because there are going to be people out there saying that I'm misgendering Asia. But the issue is, Asia presents as a cis female. Asia presents like Asia just walked off the cover of Vogue and is very chic. There is nothing androgynous in my mind as a gay male about Asia. Now, maybe that's because I don't really subscribe to the gender binary, but there's nothing... There was nothing masculine about Asia or in between or... I mean, Asia looked like a cisgender female. Asia looked like a trendy, chic, cisgender model, like a CK1 model. But Asia still looked like a hetero ideal of what a woman looks like. Asia had on nail polish. Asia had on eyeliner, I believe. Asia had the voice of a the hetero idea of what a cisgender woman should sound like. There was nothing androgynous to me about Asia. Like Asia just looks like a cis woman. Walk, you know, what's it's the saying, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck. If it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's a duck. So it makes sense for me to have said she about Asia. Now, Asia identifies as non-binary, so I will refer, I will gender Asia correctly and call Asia they, and that's what Asia is. But what I'm going to say about Asia, and Asia can come for me and anybody else can come for me, Asia has white cis female privilege because Asia walks through the world being treated as a white woman because Asia looks like a white woman. As a matter of fact, Asia is stealth as non-binary. Nobody would assume that Asia is non-binary. Nobody would guess that. Maybe they would think she was a dyke if they thought that that Asia was a female. They would think, oh, that is a lesbian because Asia has their hair cut close. But Asia has all the signifiers of a cis female. So I have a hard time with people because I because my otherness is so clockable. There's no not that I would want to be stealth, but there's no stealthiness to my blackness. There's no stealthiness to my gayness. I'm a black faggot. I'm proud of it. And I would never try to hide that. So I have a problem when people sort of publicize their otherness and, and 
commodify it into a marketable thing. I'm seeing Asia do a lot of press and do talk about being non-binary and bringing awareness to it, but using that as a marketable thing for, you know, cue points, for trending points, when it's like, but your otherness is stealth, boo-boo. Nobody would know you were non-binary if you didn't say it because you look like a cis female and you have cis female privilege. (laughs) So I kind of take issue with that. But all of that, everything I said still stands correct that the character looks like a white female, like a cis female. So then what they signify is this female to an audience and I, I, I guarantee you an audience member does not know that they are not a cis female unless they've read some press about it because remember I didn't read anything about it so I clocked them as a cis female even though they identify as non-binary so what I said still stands true about the character The semiotics are messed up. This appearing white female being on top and being in control of everyone in the movie. Black women, uh, older white women. I didn't get to talk about that. It was sort of like young woman and old crone in that the adjudicator was able to have someone physically attack Angelica Houston and cut her hands, stab, cut through them with a sword. Um, Houston being the old crone and the adjudicator being the young woman in appearance. Remember, I didn't know that they were non-binary and they look like a cis female. So what I'm seeing is young woman versus old crone. Those tropes, those heteronormative trash tropes um, and it was just, it was really problematic. The, 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 the racial overtones of that, the, um, of this, of her then going to, um, Lawrence Fishburne and punishing him. There was just a lot of this, uh, appearing white cis female, uh, lording her agency and power over black men and older white women. So it was just a lot of, you know, young white woman is in control of all and is running this whole damn show. So that, that was something that I took issue with and really stayed in place the whole movie. I mean, she, the narrative kind of shifts to distract you but if you go back to the story this adjudicator character um that the non-binary actor asia was playing who identified who looks cis i'm trying to be very nuanced and careful with my language and appropriate remember i'm speaking to how asia appears in the movie and i realize that i am clocking the movie through a heteronormative lens because that is literally the audience for this movie. The audience for this movie is not gender theory, 
uh, academics who understand the nuance of great of and grace of gender and the non-binariness. That is no, no. That is not the audience for this movie. The audience for this movie is you know sixteen to thirty-five year old white men. That is the audience for this movie because of the exotization of uh, of a man who is of Indian East Indian descent, who is the uh, like he's like a swami character that Keanu has to go to at the end, who is literally dressed like Aladdin, <laughs> and it's the actor who plays the same kind of character in Wonder Woman, actually. Uh, so he's already been pigeonholed as exoticized other that we must go to, and at least in Wonder Woman, he has a line that references it about being the wrong color. But in John Wick, he is literally playing. Basically, a magical Negro uh, in, like, Prince Ali dress and a tent that Keanu has to go to and bend before and will grant and is, you know, just exoticized. So anyway, but this white, appearingly female uh, character is in control of all of these people and is, is, and is a representative of the high table. And that's just a whole problem in and of itself. Continuing on Angelica Houston, she definitely has that grounded presence that Brie Larson doesn't have. And maybe someday when she's Angelica Houston's age, she will. But Angelica Houston just has to give you a look and you shatter. You know, you, you like collapse onto the floor. She can suck the soul out of your body with, you know, just with one look. I'm a musical theater fan. She can just, she glances at you and she can just zip the soul out of your body and leave you a husk on the ground so she was in this movie and gave an incredible performance but as I was saying my mind right now is caught up in this Lena Dunham projection act she did in this interview where she thinks Oprah hates her because um, Oprah had her back to her at some party and I'm just thinking wow that's a whole lot of projection girl you're doing a lot Oprah's a billionaire she's doing She's making money moves. She doesn't, she's not thinking about an old white actress at this moment, sorry. Um, So that was kind of in my head, so that was kind of getting in the way of me. Fully enjoying her acting. She's incredible. Um, She brought such uh, wisdom and such ferocity and such um, style and just everything. I mean, she's, she's everything as well. So she was fantastic in the role the wisdom and the grace and the the attack without getting loud in volume she has that laser pinpoint focus where she can you know speak softly but carry a big stick with her eyes and that's the kind of authority she had in this role and what she brings to a role so kudos to angelica houston as an actress uh sounds like she's kind of a semi trash person especially in this other interview she was defending woody allen Uh, In this current interview, I'm like, wow, that's how you want to go down, sis? So the defending Woody Allen, the semi-micro-racial aggressions against Oprah, it's sounding like she's personally a trash person, but she's an incredible actress, and she was great in the movie. Um, I I have a hard time separating your personal life from your acting life, so that, that bothers me, as Coco Peru would say. 
that bothers me. Um, not happy about that. But she was great in the movie. We now know that more video has surfaced from the Sandra Bland arrest that ended up in her murder in prison. They called it a suicide. I'm calling it a murder. <sighs> Sandra Bland had her own cell phone video that mysteriously just surfaced that refutes the police narrative that was written down of her arrest. And this buffets uh, the evidence we have from uh, the Laquan McDonald case uh, and other cases with police departments across the country uh, that lead, leads us logically to the conclusion that you cannot just take police narratives at face value. We have collectively too many anecdotes, which if you have enough anecdotes, you then have like a case study, right? We have too many quote-unquote anecdotes that are documented of the police falsifying reports and telling outright lies, as in the Laquan McDonald case with Chicago police, uh, in these narratives. And these police narratives are entered into official evidence in court. But we're seeing that cops just make stuff up. There are cops who just totally lie in these police narratives, which we've seen now with the Sandra Bland video that's that surfaced. And we saw in the Laquan McDonald case, cops lying and falsifying reports. So now we have to take all police reports with um, a heavy, heavy, not grain, like a whole bottle of salt. Pour the entire bottle of salt onto these police narratives from now on. They need to be investigated. They need to be verified. They need to be checked on. We can no longer just say, well, it's the police narrative, so it's sacrosanct. Because they've been caught lying too many times. Which then leads me to why I believed Jesse Smollett. Because the line coming out from the Chicago police didn't make sense. That whole case just does not make sense. Who writes a check for blackmail? And what person under 40 writes a check anyway? And who writes a check for a crime? It doesn't make sense. You have to make it make sense for me. And what's the famous line of Judge Judy? If it doesn't make sense, it's not true. There's a certain logic to human behavior. And nobody, unless they are mentally ill and have cognitive problems, which the Chicago police has not come out with Jesse Smollett saying he is clinically insane or uh, has cognitive issues with reality, nobody would write a check to pay someone for a crime. That is insane. That is completely ridiculous. It makes no sense. So when the police came out with that narrative, that's when I said, wait a minute, this, this, this makes no sense. We need to investigate this. We need to go further with this and dig deeper. And then when they decided to drop all, char when the 
when the prosecutor said, we are dropping all charges, and he paid a fee, that also let me know, well, they don't have anything. They don't have anything. Which then cast that, we have a signed check, that ridiculous picture they put out, that cast that completely uh, into um, question for me. Because if you have a signed check, you've got him dead to rights. Why would a state prosecutor decide to scrap it, to scrap the whole thing, if you really actually have a signed check for somebody for a crime? It makes no sense. So that whole police narrative was weird, and the fact they kept making all these press conferences about this supposed, if we believe them, this victimless crime, because who was the victim of this crime? Who was the victim of this crime? There is no victim. So for them to go so hard and hold all these press conferences for this victimless crime, when they have all these unsolved murders on the books, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. So go do your own homework, investigate these Sandra Bland videos so you can see them for yourself. And think twice before you come at me or any other black person. I was going to say person of color, but I'm going to start saying black people because there is clearly a difference in how we are treated. POC have a whole level of privilege that black people specifically do not have. And if you don't understand, read Malcolm Gladwell's Black Like Them. Read that piece. If you don't get it, you, you will learn. Um... And before you come at any black person with, well, the police said, dot, 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 check yourself before you wreck yourself. The great flood is spoken.